Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you? Hi. Mm, Well, it looks like the southern part of the country has gotten far more snow than us northerners. 
Dallas, I've heard, and Texas has had a fair share of snow just in the last exactly. couple of days. Exactly. How about you? Did you get any? We have also had a lot of snow. They say it's the fifth highest amount on record, and we've had a hard time staying above zero for the last two weeks. So it's been winter, even though we're above zero Fahrenheit. Yes, yeah, zero Fahrenheit. We've been having a hard time staying above. Uh, the next few days we're to be above, and then Friday back to zero again. Wow, cold. It has been very cold. It has been, you know, in the 20s here. And mm. this, you know, the past two snowstorms have gotten hardly any at all. I mean, there is snow on the ground. I'm not saying that we don't have any snow. But it's not that much. Wow. Compared to what's happening, as I see, in more southerly places. Wow. Well, at yeah. this point, I would be happy to not have so much. <laughs> it's really I, stacking up. <laughs> the place I was that had the m- most snow was in Banff mm. in January. And when you walked in the sidewalks, you were in tunnels because the snow was piled up over six feet tall in the snow banks on either side of the sidewalks. Wow. Wow. Uh, and, and, of course, yes, that was mostly from, you know, shoveling, but they're up there in the mountains. They they had 10, 15, 20, 30 feet of snow at a time. Mm. It was pretty mm. phenomenal. Wow, phenomenal, for sure. So, so wherever you are, we hope that you are cozy and well, whether you have only a little bit of snow and warm temperatures or struggling to stay above zero and Lots of snow, and I grew up in Dallas, and I remember one snowstorm in Dallas. My parents, who were from back east, as it was called, Ohio, my parents were from, my parents laughed at the people not knowing how to drive in the snow, because, of course, Mm -hmm. living in Ohio, you learn to drive in the snow. And uh, there's even a a cherished childhood picture of us. Hang on just a second. Uh Uh-uh. Uh, in our snowsuits that my mom had brought from Ohio. Hmm. That one snowstorm in my childhood in Dallas. (laughs) (laughs) Tonight we are going to hear from Vincent Jenna, who is a psychic therapist. It's it's one of those kind of interesting things, isn't it? Does that mean that he's a therapist to psychics? Mm-hmm. Or that he is a psychic as a therapist and aren't all therapists psychics and a spiritual teacher? And uh, he is uh, uh, going to tell us um, about how his early background as a professional actor and singer brought him to first get a master's in clinical social work and then work in hospice. And uh, then into what he's doing now. So stay tuned so that you can hear Vincent Jenna at 9 o'clock or come back to be with us at that time. Mm. I am so enjoying all of the herbal honeys. It just seems to be the right weather for herbal honeys. 
and mm. so many wonderful gifts of herbal honeys in there. So easy to gift, you know. It's easy to make just a little jar of uh, herbal honey and then to gift it to people. I've got some um, chocolate mint honey here on the counter and some rose petal honey and some osha honey and some dandelion flower honey. And there's some linden flower honey and some elderflower honey. Mm. As well as, of course, our beloved standby, sage honey and uh, rosemary honey. And I have not made lavender honey, but wouldn't that be wonderful? Oh, it is. I have made some. It is delightful. (laughs) And especially to have all those flavors and all those antioxidant vitamins preserved from the summer and the fall for our use here as we're really beginning to move into longer days, but we're physically feeling the cold and the dark more. Yes, I know the light has definitely changed. Even this evening at the barn with it as cold as it is, the light, the quality of it, the length of the day is changing. The the variety of birds that I hear in the morning and the afternoon. So it's coming around, even though it's very cold. I noticed when I walked over to the barn that my willow tree is turning yellow. Yes, the pollen is on the willow trees. Right. Well, that's the buds. The buds are swelling up, and they have like a yellowish outer coating. Oh, so lovely. uh, Right, right. It's not flowering. There's no pollen yet. Okay. Right, but those are the those are the 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 buds, so that we can see the 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 buds there in the willows. Even if we're not up close to it, even from a distance, we can see. Oh yes, something's happening. Hmm. Yes, I noticed them last week here, and yes, it's a welcome sight indeed. It is. It is. I have a monthly herbal chat at the Ning Group Enchanted Forest, and that's forest with two R's, Enchanted Forest, um, which is a Ning Group, and I do a monthly chat, and this year um, the people in the chat decided that what they wanted to focus on was herbs that help relieve pain, and so last night we chatted about willow. Hmm. Willow, of course, being a such a medicinal plant that a drug is made from it. Now, I'm playing a little loose with the truth there. <clears throat> and so you know what drug is made from willow, yes? Yeah, aspirin. Aspirin, right. Well, so ah mm-hmm. means from, and aspirea, spirea, which is in the rose family, um, also known as bridal veil, was the actual original plant that was used to make aspirin, aspirin, mm. from spirea. And, of course, meadowsweet filipendula is also in the rose family, and it is loaded with salicin. And m- many people don't connect or carry it through that salicin 
as a plant compound is effective dermally as well as internally. And I think that's because we wouldn't like take an aspirin and rub it on a, on a bruise. Mm. But the salicin in plants is effective as an poultice, as an external application. No. And I think I, I think you remember seeing the um, meadow sweet, the philopendula. Um, I have a couple captive on my deck in pots up from mm-hmm. uh, Gretchen's big patch of it up further north. And she's the one who turned us on to using it. And she puts a warning label on her bottles of philopendula oil and says, be careful you don't injure yourself because this is so strong when you put it on to relieve pain that it will have such a numbing effect that you can actually, like, bang yourself. Oh, wow. 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 Wow is right. So willow is salix, S-A-L-I-X, and plant compounds are generally named for the first plant they're found in the thalassin. Because it was first found in willow, it's not actually commercially viable because there's not enough in willow. Mm. And it's also found in sweet birch, Betula nigra, and um, wintergreen, true wintergreen, Galtheria procumbens. Does wintergreen go grow where you live? I have not tried to grow any or seen any, but I think that it does. It's an uh, it's a understory plant in deciduous forests. Um, it grows here. It's n- never really prolific. It's a pretty small plant. A full-grown plant might have three leaves and two berries. Mm. And it's but it spreads by you know underground runners. So it, that one full-grown plant will have a sister right next to it, and another, and another, and another. <clears throat> so rather than getting like big and tall, they it just spreads out laterally, and more and more. So you get patches of it. And then in New York City, I've been noticing that they have cultivated it into a really, really big plant with, like, berries bigger than the biggest blueberries. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And you taste those berries, and it's like, oh, winter green. And, of course, that's associated with the salicin. Mm. And... Coming up in the spring, one of the things, of course, that we do is to tap maple trees and to make maple syrup. And some people learn that you can also tap a birch tree, which is true. And if you tap the sweet birch tree, the one we're talking about, you actually get something that's kind of like root beer because it's filled with salicin as well as Mm. xylitol. So it's like wintergreen toothpaste. It's really good for your gums, and it tastes really good. And it turns out that um, the salicin is also a highly effective aid for cutting grease. So I boil down some early birch twigs before the buds have opened up and make a cleaning compound that I can use to um, cut any grease anywhere. We wow. put it on the bottom of somebody's oven and went away for an hour and came back and literally wiped it. 
and it was that's cool. Wow. Yeah, and so easy to make. And the more that you brew up those twigs, the stronger the stuff gets. In fact, it's so weak on the first brew um, that I usually just kind of drink it and wait until I'm on the third or fourth brew with the twigs. So I'll get a, a, enough twigs, maybe a dozen twigs, to put in a quart jar, fill the jar to the top with boiling water, right? Then pour that off and enjoy that as a beverage and fill it up again and keep doing that over and over and over again. And by the third or fourth time, then it's no longer a beverage and now it's become a grease cutter. Wow. Wow. There's a lot of discussion as to whether or not salicin from plants is actually effective in the body. It's absolutely effective dermally. And in um, Mormon's um, book on indigenous uses of plants, there's, I think, 10 to 12 pages on the uses of willow. Many of them, of course, include basketry and making structures and mats and so on. Very, very useful plants. But of the medicinal ones, I would say over half are external applications, chewed for toothache, um, used to uh, treat a bruise or a sprain to help to reduce the swelling from a broken bone, to bind to the head in case of a headache, to put on the chest if there's a bad cough. And usually it's the bark of the root of the willow that's being used, but all of it, the leaves, the buds, the twigs, it's all useful. And one of the people at the chat said, which willow? And I said, well, traditionally it's white willow that is considered to meet the medicinal one. But in this book that I'm talking about, Mormon's book, there are maybe three dozen different kinds of willow that are used. Anything from weeping willow to pussy willow to black willow to red willow to white willow to beech willow to scrub willow to mountaintop willow. It appears that all, every single willow is used. And amazingly enough, it was considered to be a fabulous springtime food. Mm. And the leaves were relished and cooked, and they do come out soon, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And for tree leaves, they're reasonably tender. Compare them to like an oak leaf or even a maple leaf. Yeah, they're reasonably tender, not really tender um, compared to our modern mm-hmm. taste. But we, I could see where, yeah, what a great thing mm-hmm. for the spring. So welcome to the willows. Next time you're outside, see if you can find a willow just by looking around for some tree that looks like it's suddenly turning yellow. Paul Bergner says that um, when we take the uh, salicin in, that it, it, in fact, isn't an active compound in the body, but that gut flora break it into salogenin and glucose. And salogenin then is converted by the liver into acetosalicylic acid, which is aspirin. Wow. So once again, we come back to herbal medicine is going to work 
differently depending on what's in your gut. You have healthy gut flora, you're not only going to be happier, the herbs are going to work more effectively for you. Mm. And it's one of the great advantages of drinking nourishing herbal infusions because they very quickly cause the really good flora in your gut to be magnified. It's wonderful how interconnected it all is. Yeah, such a beautiful synergy. It certainly is. Do we have anybody with any questions tonight? We do. We have a couple questions. Uh, and I'd like to remind the other callers on the line and everyone listening that if you have a question or would like to speak with Susan tonight, please press 1. And I will know that you have a question and you will be in line to ask your question of Susan. Right now, we will go to our first caller, coming from the 650 area code. You are live on the air with Susan. Oh, hi, Susan. Hi. Um, really interesting about the willows. Would you harvest the willow? Were you thinking that you make tinctures out of it for pain or mostly compresses? Native people strongly preferred to use it externally, but they also brewed it up as a tea um, or even stronger. I've made it in vinegar because I figured that vinegar is acetic acid, and if I take salicin and acetic acid, I might have acetosalicylic acid at the end. So I've made wintergreen leaf vinegar and sweet birch vinegar, um, and this year I'm thinking about making some metasweet vinegar. I haven't done that. Mostly I've just been using the metasweet externally, but I'm going to experiment with it internally as well. And um, the the idea of making a tincture came along um, pretty recently, and I'm not sure... Um, how effective it would be. I was very um, amazed to find that Willow Salix was not in my American physician's desk reference, which has hundreds of herbs in it, and uh, not not the PDR for drugs, but the PDR for herbs. Um, And it was not in my Encyclopedia of Supplements, but it does appear in the German Commission E reports in which they suggest that it be taken as a tea. And that would be the bark? The bark of the root, Uh, the the inner bark of the trunk, the bark or thin branches, the leaves, and especially the leaf buds. One of my early teachers, a Native American woman, told me that to her, the swelling willow buds looked like arthritic knuckles. Mm. And you'd make like a strong tea out of that then? That's what she did. Because we have one... 
soaks their hands in it and drink it. Wow. Hmm. And I guess you just experiment with what grows near you because we just have one kind. It's like a, just a very ordinary willow with buds on it. With buds on it, right? Yeah. Turning yellow. Yeah, so it's going to be, well, because I'm in California, so now is spring for us. Yes. Oh, interesting. It grows everywhere. I'm going to try it. Thank you. Another thing to clarify from your talk about elderflower honey. Can you use the elderflowers from the elder that has the red berries? I know you're not supposed to use those berries, but can you use the flowers? Yes. Okay, for just about any preparation? Yeah. Always remembering to ask elders permission. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So the reason I called tonight is I had a question about making tinctures from, from marijuana. And when they say that you're taking CBD oil or CBD tincture, is there a special way you know it's CBD or just does pot in general have CBD in it, and so they call it CBD tincture and oil? Or certain plants just have a lot of CBD in them and you use them? In order to answer your question, I need to talk about dogs briefly. Oh, okay. Okay. So um, Chihuahua is a dog, yes? Right. And Great Dane's a dog, right? Mm-hmm. And yet they're really different. Mm-hmm. So if I were to say dogs are very small and they like to hump your leg, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be wrong, but I wouldn't be right either. Mm-hmm. Cannabis, like canis, which is dog, is very breedful. Mm-hmm. So there are many breeds of dogs, yes? Mm-hmm. And they're different. So different that if I say poodle, greyhound, Irish setter, you get images. Very mm-hmm. clear images of what those breeds of dogs are, of what kind of canis canis we're talking about. Cannabis is just like that. It's very breedful. Most plants that have male and female separate don't breed true. So to breed true would mean you have a green bean that grows six feet tall and has green beans that are six inches long and you really like the taste of them, and you save those seeds and you plant it, and you get those green beans. Mm-hmm. Because because those seeds are true, and that's partly because it has a perfect flower with both male and female in the same flower. But cannabis, as we know, has male plants and female plants, and that means it's a big anything goes when it comes to the seeds. If you have a breed of cannabis that you like and you save seeds from it, it will none of those seeds will be 
will grow the same breed, and none of them may have any relationship to the parent plants. So, it's very difficult to talk about cannabis, isn't it? It is. It and it leads to a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different constituents in plants, and this is true of every plant. We're not just talking about vitamins and minerals and proteins and and hormones and and alkaloids and volatile oils. We're talking about hundreds. Of different compounds. And because of that, it can be a little mind boggling to try to figure out what's going on and how to talk about what's going on. So the easiest thing to talk about is two cannabinols. THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, and CBD. So THC and CBD are two constituents found in cannabis. You can look for plants that are naturally higher in CBD. And you can clone those plants. Cannabis clones very easily. And have a breed that is CBD rich and THC low. But I don't think that there's ever any product that has no THC in it. Mm -hmm. There are also terpenes. And terpenes are aromas, they're the volatile oils. And the pain relief system in the body that's based on cannabis, there's two pain relief systems in the body, one based on opium and one based on cannabis. And that pain relief system in almost every person responds to CBD. According to the pharmacist I've talked to, many people, perhaps up to half of people, will get better pain relief if there is a significant amount of THC, like half THC and half CBD in whatever they're using for pain relief. THC is what gets you high, right? What alters your state of consciousness. What most people are finding is that if you're in pain and you're taking a CBD product that has THC also in it, you're not going to get high because it's as though, to put it poetically, it's as though the pain eats the cannabis. And so there's none left to really affect you. It just affects the pain. The terpenes are like the cuts in a key. So if you think about an old key, it's just like a metal rod with like a little thing at the end, right? Mm -hmm. But a modern key 
is still, it's like a little, you know, blank of metal. But then there's all the little cuts, all the little teeth in it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what allows it to fit into a precise lock. And that's what the terpenes do. So in states where it's legal to sell named cannabis, you can, if you're a person who's using it medicinally, experiment with different named varieties, which you'll be able to continue to get because they're grown from clones. We don't have to depend on seeds. To find which set of terpenes has the right notches to key into your cannabinoid system. Mm. One of the very fun things that I got to do when I was in Seattle was to walk into a store and to walk up to the counter and say, I would like something that I can smoke in the evening when all my work is done and that it will be a little psychedelic and fun. And the woman behind the counter knew all of the dozens of different cannabis breeds that were for sale there and said, I know just what you'd like. And that's what she sold me. So that has been my experience that in New York State, um, you actually talk to a pharmacist about the cannabis, and at this point they've kept it to CBD, THC, or half and half. Um, But pharmacists here are, you know, the ones who are working with it, can explain a lot to you and help you understand for your pain and your situation what's going to be best probably for you and what dosage and what delivery form. Mm-hmm. And in places where it's not so closely guarded, like Seattle where you can just walk into a store, I find the staff incredibly well-informed and helpful. So one of the things that usually what we want to do is to be our own expert. What works best for you? It's not necessary most of the time for us to be experts about CBD or cannabis, which is a deep and complex field. Yeah. But to know what works well for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, let's say you were making a tincture out of fresh plants. I don't really know much about making tinctures out of the out of out of um, cannabis anyway. And you just cut the flowers and pour hundred proof vodka over it. You don't really know what you're getting in that realm. Is is that how it would be made medicinally for pain? Because that is always, certain. That is I, certain a way to make cannabis tincture and I have taken cannabis tincture made that way and I find it effective and I'm surprised because mm-hmm. all the literature says that the there's not enough alcohol in 100 proof vodka to do it that you have to use grain alcohol but it does work 
and it's um I find a very good companion to CBD oil, if people are taking CBD oil internally, that a little bit of the cannabis tincture along with the oil seems to magnify the effect of both of them, again, for pain relief. Mm-hmm. Does making a vodka tincture of fresh cannabis flowers make something that has THC in it? Probably. Does that THC alter your consciousness? Probably not. The most effective way to ingest THC is to vaporize it and inhale it. Even for pain relief? Yes. Mm-hmm. But And not smoke it? That's smoking. Vaporizing and inhaling is smoking. Yeah. But the vaporizing, interesting. Because I've been experimenting with making the tinctures, and I've learned about the tinctures from listening to your podcast and reading your books. And it just made sense to just cut it, uh, cut the flowers up and put it in the vodka. Yeah. And there's all this talk about, you know, heating it and putting it in ovens and drying it. And that's what all the online stuff says, but um, I've given it to some people and they've had good, mild pain relief from injuries that were more chronic. So, And you're kind of supporting making it that way, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. And again, it's you're not going to make something that, like, you know, knocks people out and they can't, like, get up and function. Mm-hmm. It's exactly as you said. It's really, I find it Excellent, mild pain relief. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a really good explanation, Susan. Thank you. You are welcome. And, hey, you know, people are devoting their lives to this plant. It's really, really interesting to see how many people love cannabis. And I'm very excited because we're really in a renaissance of cannabis culture. It's true. It's it's interesting because people who who try it, I always ask them, you know, well, are you getting buzzed from that? And they always say maybe a tiny bit, but it's more about the pain than it is about getting high. You know, it really is medicine. It's really medicine. Mm-hmm. Which isn't to say it can't be used ritually to alter your consciousness. It can, it has been, and it works very well that way. But if what you're asking from it is pain relief, that's what you're going to get. Well, thank you, Susan. You're welcome. Thanks for your question. Green blessings. Good night. Okay, our next caller is calling from the 443 area code. You are live on the air with Susan in the 443. Hi. Hi, Susan. Uh, Thank you for taking my call today. Um, I have two questions, if I may. The first one is exactly a week from today, I'm having my first teeth pulled, and it's my two first molars. Um, So I was just calling to see... Um, if you could 
I could use your wisdom on how to uh, support healing pre and post surgery. I see abundantly on abundantly well on page 128. You talk about horsetail to nourish, yarrow to tonify, which I already use when I brush my teeth. And you also mentioned birch to soothe. Could you speak more about especially horsetail and birch as well? And we have been talking about birch tonight, right? Because we started out talking about salicin. And especially that sweet birch contains salicin. So birch also contains xylitol, which is terrifically antibacterial in the mouth. And you can actually go and get xylitol gum, which is usually made from sweet birch. Um, from the the flavor of it is from the sweet birch. Not it's called wintergreen and you know in things, but it's not from the wintergreen. It's from sweet birch. And um, so the horsetail is a plant that. Some herbalists very much believe in. And one or two of my early teachers were horsetail believers. And it was always a big deal that we went out pretty early in the spring to get the horsetail. Because when it was more than 30 days old, it wasn't okay to use it. Of course, horsetail is a very interesting plant. It's one of the few non-flowering plants that are used in herbal medicine. And it has these kind of strange um, sexual organs that look very different than the plant. So a lot of lore has grown up about it. I remember going to talk by David Hoffman, and he said, you know, the whole thing about horsetail is that it's supposed to have a lot of silica in it. And I had heard... Um, from Ayurvedic teachers that horsetail could um, repair and replace the enamel on the teeth because of its silica and that it could uh, uh, strengthen your bones because of the silica and uh, give you better hair and better fingernails because of the silica. And David said, but what is silica? Silica is sand. He said, and hot sand is glass. And he said, so taking a plant that's rich in silica um, it's not going to get you any more nourishment than eating sand, and it might be as harmful as eating glass. So I've always used small amounts of horsetail when I use it. A pinch or two, up to a teaspoonful in a quart of infusion. Just to add that little bit of, hmm, horsetail lore, lore and maybe... Maybe silica does work on the body. Who knows? Maybe it doesn't. So there's our triumvirate. And that chart actually got its start because somebody um, was working on a book about chakras. And she wanted to include herbs 
that could help with the chakras. So that was the first beginning of that, and then I just expanded it so that we'd have a ready reference. I'm so glad it's been useful to you. And I think you're right on with the arrow. It's certainly what I would do. I would take the area where the tooth is going to be pulled, and I would put some arrow tincture directly on those areas once or twice a day. So you brush your teeth with it, and then you put some arrow right on those areas, and certainly directly before you go to bed. Take the arrow with you so that you can put some on right before the extraction. It will really cut down on the blood loss And make your um, extractions go easier. It's mm. wonderful. Yeah. I- yeah. If you think the doctor's going to prescribe antibiotics, and if you think that you might take those antibiotics, then instead start taking echinacea. And you can start by taking a dropper full or two a day or a dose or two, not a dropper full or two. You want to take a dropper full for every um, 50 pounds that you weigh. And that's a dose. And take one or two doses a day beforehand. And then if you think that you would need or want an anti-infective after the extraction, then take that dose three times a day or four times a day, whatever you feel is necessary, so that you're prepared to not have to take an antibiotic. Okay. I'm, if you I'm already taking. <laughs> you're already taking echinacea? I am because one of the teeth is abscessed and I started to feel pain last week. So I did take some Advil just to, to, so I could sleep because it came on really hard at night, really intense. And, and the so echinacea I did that. And then the, relieved the pain. I'm so glad to hear that. Yes, the next morning I started with the tincture directly on the gum, on that whole area, twice a day, and it's been yes. amazing. I haven't felt pain anymore. It's really incredible. Oh, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Hurrah, herbs. Amazing, yeah. Right. And so, I'm taking also so a dropper pool on my tincture. To that, take some echinacea in some liquid. Okay. And if you weigh 150 pounds, take three dropperfuls at a time. Wonderful. That's lovely. Yeah. Would you suggest, um, I do have uh, some ionized, oh gosh, what do you call, ionic silver that I take once a week, just a little teaspoon. Um, would you suggest to just, do a wash with that, or just the yarrow should do for rinsing? I really like silver in um, mattresses, and I really like silver <laughs> in dishcloths and towels, mm-hmm. but I don't really like silver in bodies. Mm-hmm. Silver, okay. silver is a heavy metal. Mm. It contaminates water and soils, and people who drink the water and eat soils contaminate with silver get sick. Mm. Okay. Well, 
Okay. And while I've certainly known Thank people you. who've made their own ionized silver, um, for most people, it's a commodity. It's something they have to buy. And we'll remember that Susan failed Consumerism 101. Mm, mm-hmm. Got it. Great. Thank you. You are welcome. I would, mm. depending on what kind of assistance and backup I had in my life, I might go shopping with an eye toward what would someone who just had two teeth extracted really be able to eat. And it might look more like gelato and yogurt and um, soft cheese and mashed potatoes and oatmeal and tomato soup and things like that. Mm. Okay. So that if you're feeling like you need more rest and you might very well, a double extraction is a big deal, um, then there's already... Somebody's already taken care of you. You have. Mm-hmm. There's easy, soft things to eat. Wonderful. Great. And that leads me to my second question, actually. <laughs> in terms of soft things to eat, which I hadn't thought connected both until you suggested the soft things. Um, your veggies. Uh, cooked for two plus hours have really my life. Um, and I came from the al dente world. And when I did give that a try, it's really fascinating how flavorful uh, you can't stop. I can't stop eating it, you know. So when I started it, um, uh, it was solids in a solid format and I started to experiment with liquid so I'll cook it for two between two and three hours and I would put a, a whole bunch of kale I would make a, a, a whole batch of soup and then freeze some so I'll turn it into soup a full uh, bunch of kale uh, beet greens spinach uh, chard seaweed and Sometimes I'll uh, vary a little bit the vegetables, but basically those were my main go-tos. And, and then I would uh, liquefy all that and then at, uh, take it back to the, to the stove and put it on a very low heat. Uh, I add miso to it and also cayenne at the end, and it's amazing. <laughs> um, and I also add a little da- dairy to it at the end, maybe yogurt if I have it or half and a half cheese, really good with feta cheese. What I started to wonder lately is if I possibly am overtaxing my kidney. I'm not feeling anything particular, but it just occurred to me that I will drink maybe a quart of that liquid twice a week, and I already take my my, um, uh, nourishing infusion, uh, yeah, infusion, so I don't know, uh, you know, if I'm overtaxing my kidneys, it's, uh, over-mineralizing things. You know what I mean? What do you think? Well, the first thing that I think is that you're spoiling most of the good of it by putting cayenne in it. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I don't want so to if, do it, but so I So if you had I to have. choose a word to describe how your mouth feels when there's cayenne in it, what word would you choose? Cool or inflamed? Well, inflamed, but I put very little, but yeah, I hear you. Inflamed. It's not needed. The name not needed. of mm-hmm. disease is inflammation. Mm-hmm. I teach at a, a bookstore in Woodstock called Mirabai, and there's a, a lovely um, woman about my age who always comes to my classes at Mirabai. And um, she. We always do talking stick at the beginning of class. And she told us a few years back that she had always poo-pooed my putting down cayenne. And she said, you know, what's a little bit of cayenne or a little bit of black pepper, she said. And then her joints began to swell, and she was a painter. And she said, we cannot have this because I cannot, you know, manipulate the brush with my joints swollen. And she heard me saying, give up the pepper. And she, you know, immediately, you know, said, oh, it's not that much, da 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 But I, again, insisted, give up the pepper. So she did. And she was there to tell us that it made all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. If I lived in a place where I didn't have refrigeration and the air temperature was very hot, I would put pepper in my food because it would kill most of the foodborne bacteria. But I don't live there. I live in a, a place where I have a refrigerator. So that's the first thing. Let's let's ditch the cayenne from there. And the second thing is I am a, a simpler. And that means that what I teach is that you can have as many lovers as you want, but not <laughs> in the same bed. Yes. <laughs> so it sounds like, I may have misheard, but it sounds like you're putting all this stuff together and cooking it down and grinding it up and turning it into something that isn't something you can really relate to. I sat down tonight to my meal, and there was half a cup of cooked dandelion greens and half a cup of cooked organic Swiss chard and a quarter of a butternut squash and a cup of uh, um, organic mashed potatoes that uh, the my son-in-law, the chef, made. Oh, it's so good. And a organic pork chop from our local CSA. And I was able to actually gauge how much of each one of those foods my body wanted because they were individual on my plate. Mm-hmm. And when I was about halfway done, the condiments that I had put on the table began to look interesting. I said, let me try this apple butter. Let me have a little bit of this this plum stuff. Ooh, there's some peach chutney that is that made. And so I brought a little fruit in. But long, slow-cooked fruit, right? 
But again, it was individual. It wasn't like peach apple plum butter. So that I could say, oh, I want a little bit of this. I want more of this. Oh, and now I want more of this. I really like this. I want more of it. And I hope this is answering your question. Yeah. Which is which is not is it having an impact on your kidneys? Because no, you can't through plants get too much nutrition. Mm-hmm. But yes, you want to be in touch with what your body's saying. And the more simple you keep it, the easier it is. Okay. Does that make sense right. to you? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, so I will buy not a bunch of kale. I buy a case of kale. Mm-hmm. And then... The apprentices and I strip it off the stalks. The rabbit eats the rabbit eats stalks. We chop it. We put it in a pan with about one inch of water, and I'm talking about a five-gallon mm-hmm. pan. There, one inch of water in the bottom, and a case of kale chopped up in there, and the water comes to a boil. Presto changeo! Suddenly, there's like half half a pot of kale, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Suddenly, shrinks in size. We stir it up. Right, it makes a color change that it does. And at that point, we make sure that it's all wet and that it's all stirred well and that the water is simmering and we put a tight lid on it. And we don't, like, ignore it or go away from it. We're in there every, you know, half hour or so, lifting that lid and checking it and stirring around to make sure it's not burning. Mm-hmm. But basically, by the time it's cooked for two or three hours, there's no water left. And that kale is cooled, and then a big storage container is put in the refrigerator, and it's the rest of it is frozen. And then all winter long, I want cooked organic kale. I can just pluck it out of my freezer. One day's work, I and, eat how- all winter, and I eat all winter long. And how do you reheat it? I run hot water over the outside of the bag so that I can free it up and put it in. um, I actually usually put it in my cast iron skillet on my wood stove, but I know most other people can't do that. So (laughs) you need to have a pan (laughs) big enough to fit your frozen block of greens in and some slow, steady heat. Otherwise, if you don't want to do that, because I'm an impetuous kind of person. I'm like, yes, I want this for dinner. Wham, we're going to do it right now. Um, you could also, you know, think ahead, take it out, and thaw it out. Um, but I'm not real good at deciding several days ahead what I'm going to want to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why I just heat up the whole frozen block. Okay. And do you... I've frozen too much for me to eat right then. I have a special knife with the tip broken off that I use like an ice pick, whack, 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 and I break my block in half right into a whack, whack, whack line with my broken off little paring knife right down the middle and then whack it, and it breaks in half, and I put half back in the freezer and the other half I eat. Mm. Okay. 
great. Do you, um, is the seaweed then also um, that out of the batch, like a kale batch, let's say? um, Yes, kale. Is it still a good idea to add? Seaweed is in my beans. Okay. Seaweed is in my soup. I do that too. Mm -hmm. But I want to be able, again, to interact with the seaweed and not have it lurking under the kale. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And that doesn't mean I, I can't to... that doesn't mean I can put both kale and seaweed on the table and have them both. But if I'm preparing it for myself, I want to prepare it in the simplest possible way so that my body can relate to it in that simple way. And then I can make it more complicated as I'm putting food on my plate, right? Exactly, yeah. Because I'm in the moment with my body right then. And my body's looking at and smelling those foods and saying, yeah, seaweed puts them on there going, not tonight, I know, we don't want... You know, I've been reading up about fucus because I'm going to be doing a show, a healthylife.net show on fucus. And um, there are all these warnings about, oh, you have to be careful with fucus because you could consume too much iodine. I'm like, no, you can't. No, you can't because if you're all in touch with your body, your body will go, oh, no, no, eat that. Oh, too much. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, if you grind it up and put it in capsules and swallow it, perhaps you could get too much iodine. I'm not sure. But that's not how we're going to use it, and not, not how you're using it. Is that helpful for you? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, that really resonates now to just focus on each, the simples, which I already do with the herbal infusion, so I'll just start doing the same with the veggies. Thank you, so when Susan. I open my freezer, yeah. I can say, hmm, do I want beet greens? Do I want collards? Mm-hmm. Do I want kale? Do I want kale from Bob's garden? Do I want kale from the CSA garden? Mm. Um, lamb's quarter, amaranth greens. And I was just reading last year's Dirty Dozen. These are the things that are... M- have the worst chemical contamination, and kale is now number three. Mm. Oh, wow. So spend your summer getting organic kale and freezing it so you have it next winter. Okay. I actually grow some, and it's all organic. Oh, good. So, good for you. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Yes, it's beautiful. All well, thank right. you so much. Uh, it, it it was extremely helpful, especially also with the dental uh, procedure. Um, so, thank you so much. All right. Green blessings. Good night. All right. Green blessings, Susan. Good night. Okay. We currently have three callers that have pressed one to let me know that they would like to speak with Susan. And our next caller is calling from the 202 area code. You are now live on the air with Susan in the 202. Um, hello, this is Dina calling. Good evening. Um, oh, you're making me homesick when you talked about BAMPS. 
because I'm from Calgary, although oh. I'm now in Washington, D.C., but I grew up in those mountains. I think Calgary was the coldest place I've ever been in my life. <laughs> yes, yes, just uh, yesterday it was 29 below there. And when the wind blows down, oh, whoa! <laughs> I, thought, I thought my cheeks were going to f- freeze off if I smiled. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's why we wear a mask, you know, a woolen mask, because you'll get frostbitten in a very short amount of time. <laughs> yes. Well, um, Susan, I am calling you this evening because I'm... Um, um, the last few nights, I have been having, um, oh, a lot of pain, which is waking me up in my, in my gut. Um, uh, and I would, I, you know, the, the first, what I think it is, perhaps, is really just acid reflux. And I think that it stems from... Um, Oh, recent lousy news that um, I, um, um, well, it, it's been a rough three years, Susan. I had, I had kidney cancer and a kidney removed. And then uh, about eight months later, I got bladder cancer. Um, and uh, I have had, and I, at this point right now, I'm having immunotherapy chemo it's locally, not systemic Um for the for bladder cancer, but I recently was diagnosed with breast cancer, and um, the surgeon is um, saying that um, I will probably need a full mastectomy on the left breast. And now they found some cancer in the right breast. So I've had a lot of stress. Um, I have been able through the first two cancers to um, really maintain. A pretty good um, sense of equanimity, I have to say. Um, yes, it, yes it, I hear it, that in you. Yeah, I, you know, I was yeah. able to just go with the flow and uh, kind of, you know, let go, and uh, and I, I'm fine. But with but the news of this one has really got to me, and um, and it's complicated because I'm going to have to figure out. I still have to do some treatment for the bladder cancer, and that can't wait because once before when I wait, we waited a little longer, it reoccurred. So, uh, you know, the schedule of when I'm going to have this surgery, et cetera, and how we're going to coordinate, you know, the logistics of how we're going to coordinate it all um, is of concern. And so I am thinking that the... Um, the acid reflux is probably there because I'm feeling anxious. And um, although I'm, and it wakes me up, in, you know, about three in the morning, and then I can't get back to sleep. So I'm sleep deprived at this time. And I'm, um, but the pain in the gut, today I went to and had acupuncture, and he worked in that area. And it does, it, 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 um, it helps for a little while, but um, it seems to be back. Um, and I, I, um, I'm not sure what to do about this. I, I think it's acid reflux, 
uh, from stress. Um, so my subconscious is, although I go to bed thinking, well, you know, I have meditated and I've, you know, calmed the body down and I'm okay and I fall asleep, no problem, but then the pain wakes me up. So I'm call- my question is... And you, um, and you go to sleep at about what time? I go to sleep about about eleven, about eleven p.m. Around eleven. 11 You're sleeping for about four hours. Yes. Now you exactly. have a job somewhere out in the real world that you're going to that prevents you from taking naps. Uh, no, no, no. I can uh-huh. I can take naps. I'm I'm then, tired now, and I can take. Not naps. tell me you're sleep deprived. Uh, oh, I most know, of, most of the world sleeps for no more than four hours at a time, unless they're industrialized. And the whole idea of getting people to lay down and spend eight hours sleeping and then get up and work, 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 work is part of industrialization. But you're no longer part of that. So you don't have to live that way anymore. No, hurrah. Exactly. Uh, yes, I can, I can have a nap whenever I wish to. Whatever you wish uh, to. No need to be sleep deprived. <laughs> okay, so good you, get good, you get a good solid four hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. And then when you wake up, you decide what is really going to, you know, be woken up and you don't dither about it. You know, sometimes you wake up and you can turn over and you can go back to sleep. And sometimes you wake up and you're awake. And that's it. You can turn over, but you're going to be awake when you turn over. And you can turn over again and you're still going to be awake. So don't keep trying to go back to sleep if you're really awake. Just say, that's it, now I'm awake. And let let that be part of your healing rhythm. All right, but as I said before, when I I'm awakened because I'm in a lot of a lot of pain. What do you do to okay. ease that pain? Do you have anything well, that works to ease that pain? I'm not I'm not sure what to do. Um, uh, last night I went I found some Pepto Bismol, and I, uh, I I I thought maybe that will line the intestines, maybe that'll help a little bit. So I I I took. I, I, I took some. Well, it helped some, but I noticed I also needed to sit up, sit right up. So I sat up in bed and I fell asleep sitting. Uh, when ah. I, yeah. That seemed to be very important. As soon as I lay down and I'm horizontal from the head to the toe, there is trouble. You know, the pain came back. Quite severe pain, actually. And is the pain above your belly button or below your belly button? It's above. And between your belly button and the sternum, where your ribs right. come together. Right. Uh, along that line, is the pain nearer the belly button or nearer the sternum? Um, it's about midway. It's almost like a path, that, and I find myself rubbing, 
rubbing it, you know, to soothe it with my hand. But it is, it is just like like a like a little road there from the sternum mm-hmm. to above the belly button. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And have you been reading about the vagus nerve? No, I haven't. Mm. No. No. Explore that. That 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 is fascinating, and that will you will find uh, why you're doing that, and how that can help you. Okay. And I think you're on the right track, given what you're saying. I think that you are experiencing not something with your intestines, but something with your um, stomach and esophagus. Uh-huh. Acid reflux is the acid of the stomach coming up into the esophagus. So it's generally felt pretty high up there, nearer to the sternum. Right. And mm-hmm. not down into the intestinal area, which would be nearer to the belly button. Right. Mm-hmm. And if it's gallbladder or pancreatic issues, then it's usually going to be a little lower down in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both pancreas and gallbladder problems can present like this, right? To wake you up yes. in pain. And one way that people try to separate this out is if you don't eat for a certain number of hours before you lay down and see what kind of difference that makes. Most people keep food in their stomach for approximately four hours before it Mm -hmm. begins to move into the small intestine, which basically means that if you've eaten after 7 o'clock and you're going to bed at 11, that there might still be food in your stomach that when you lay down sloshes up into your esophagus. Uh Uh Uh-huh. So, Right, so eating a little bit earlier, that isn't to say you can't drink things. Drinking is absolutely fine. I'm not talking about booze, but yeah, nourishing herbal infusions. All right, right, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I hear you. I'm good. Uh, right. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And again, okay. you, know, you know, it's 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 not like dietary advice. It's more like diagnostic. Yes, yes. Okay, very yeah. good. Well, you see, it I, helps I to ease off the pain. And slippery elm, slippery elm, slippery elm balls. Uh, you've probably seen Monica Jean making slippery elm balls, balls on YouTube and keep mm-hmm. some slippery elm balls in a little tin right by your bedside. Ah, okay, I can do that. Yeah, and then it, mm-hmm. if you wake up with this pain, put a slippery elm ball in your mouth right away. And as you say, sit up. That's a good response. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very All good. Right. Okay. Thank you, Susan, very much. I appreciate it. Appreciate your time. You are welcome. Great blessing. <laughs> <laughs> to you and to you. Thank you. Good night. Good night. All right. We have with their hands raised, and the next caller calling from the 646 area code. You are live on the air. 
Hello. Hi, Susan. This is Maggie. So happy to be here. Thank you for all that you do. Um, I'm reaching out because, so I've, I've had um, low back pain, chronic pain for a long time and recently been diagnosed where I have like generalized um, hypermobility or either download syndrome, um, hypermobile type. So with that, I've recently had an MRI and there's this, there's these cysts at the sacral area of my spine <clears throat> that I know have been at least part of like some of the pretty major back um, pain that I've been going through for years off and on. Um, so these cysts, I was thinking about how I've read from you about chickweed being good for cysts, though I've never used chickweed. So I just wanted to ask your opinion when it comes to a cyst that's in, happening a food sack inside of the, the spine, um, would chickweed and how to how to take chickweed would be my question, if that's what you recommend. Chickweed tincture. A fair amount. Dropperfuls at a time. Two, three dropperfuls at a time, two or three times a day. And chickweed contains saponin. Sounds like soap, doesn't it? It is. What does soap do? What does soap do that hot water doesn't? You take a plate with some spinach on it and rinse it with hot water. It's pretty okay. But if you take a, a plate with a spinach that has olive oil on it and you rinse it with hot water and there's still olive oil on the plate, the <laughs> soap breaks up the surface tension of the fat. Uh-huh. So saponins do the same thing in your body. They break up the surface tension of fats, and most cysts are made of fats. Taking the chickweed, um, is that something to do, like, uh, ongoing? I mean, like, daily, multiple times a day over a long period of time is safe or, or advised? It's absolutely safe. Chickweed is an edible plant. I have eaten pounds and pounds and pounds of it, probably hundreds of pounds of it in salads and pesto, Mm -hmm. as well as uh, known hundreds of women who have taken um, two or three dropperfuls as a dose two or three times a day for periods of up to... Well, pretty much as long as they needed until their cyst was gone. I think the longest was about mm-hmm. a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, it's kind of a, all this is a discovery because, I mean, there's definitely multiple places of pain in my low back. But now that I've learned about these sacral cysts, makes sense to me based off of how I've experienced certain things at times. So, okay. Um, thanks so much for that. I, I really, I, I'm definitely going to, um, yeah, work on that. You know, I yeah. take the nurses of infusions every day and rotate them. But, um, you right. know, I used to think it was an inflammation thing. But then now they're like, no, it's actually not inflammation. It's not why you have pain. I mean, it may uh, make uh, things worse. But, right. It could uh, make it worse. But you, you're not dealing with too much inflammation. And that's partly because you're doing so well with your nourishing herbal infusions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Great. Well, thank you so much, and I'll let you get to the next caller. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Bye-bye. All right. And we have one more caller with their hand raised. You're calling from the 978 area code. You are live on the air with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hello. My name's Vanessa. It's really nice to meet you. I've been listening to you for a super long time. Thanks, Vanessa. I have a question about thinning hair and what you might think about the subject. Um, I sense that something is going on on my scalp level that is making my hair not want to grow or something's happening in the pores or the follicles that I can, it it just feels like uh, I know, although I know that it is part of my um, family's genes, as we both know, um, genes are only a very small percentage of what, um, we don't have to let the genetic, our genetic makeup define um, uh, what illnesses we will or what problems we will or will not have. So um, I refuse to believe that just because some other women in my family have thinning hair that I must have it too. So I guess I'll just give the floor to you and see what you might have to say. All right. Um, stinging nettle is considered the herb to restore hair and the thickness of hair. Are you currently drinking nourishing herbal infusions, and is nettle one of them? I adore nettle. I used to live basically in the middle of a huge nettle patch. I have been away from the actual plant growing for some time. That being said, I just purchased for the first time um, a pound of nettle, and it, although it felt strange to purchase it, I'm happy to have it, and I do take the nourishing infusion. Yeah. All right. Not all Good. the time, so that's something that I'll double down my effort. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if that's, you know, if that's like fairly recent, it does take, uh, I don't remember exactly, but I think it's like many weeks, even perhaps months in terms yeah. of regrowth from the follicles. Okay. That, you, that okay, you're not cool. getting like immediate results. Of course. To, it takes to anything. Um, scalp massage are you doing that I have one of those little scalp massagers and when I condition uh, my little my curly locks I rub my scalp with it and that feels great I just started that somewhat recently as well yeah good all right because I think if you think it's your hair follicles that that's the place to go is right to the scalp right yeah. Yeah. And get the blood circulating now. You can also uh, do inverted poses. Oh, and that's a great. You don't actually have to stand on your head. <laughs> but it, anything that directs more blood flow to that area. And that's why ginkgo is considered to be useful. Oh, yay. That's a great idea. And I'd, perhaps red clover, too, then, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, but, cool. you know, ginkgo is really seen as the herb 
that increases blood flow to the brain. And that blood flow to the brain, of course, doesn't just go to the brain. It's also going to be going to all of the area around. That is a nice way. Thank you so much. That's great. Yeah. I was curious if perhaps it could be something um, in a change of hormones. Um, so maybe I should come out from that direction as well and do something. How old are you? Or, or, hmm? How old are you? I'm 44. It probably is. And um, one of the things that women start to notice as they start to get into their mid-40s to mid-50s and they start to see changes in their hair, if they're listening to their bodies, is they start to get signals that they need more animal protein in their diet. Okay. So listen in and see see if more, a little more meat or a little more dairy or a little more eggs. Okay. Because hair, after all, is protein, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been trying to focus on protein a little bit more in different ways over the last year or so. Definitely, I've become more um, aware. That's helpful. Yeah. You are welcome. Thanks for your question and your call. Hope to meet you someday. All right. Great blessings. Good night. Ciao. Bye-bye. All right, we did have two more callers that have pressed one to say they have questions. Our next caller is calling from the 401 area code. You are live on the air with Susan in the 401. Hi, Susan. Um, Just a quick question tonight about something that I um, saw that you had made. I, I attempted to make garlic honey. And over the past two weeks, it's kind of, bubbling and gurgling. Wow, perfect. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Very easy. Okay, and so it'll do that and it's... It will do that and it's ready to use. As soon as it starts to do that, it's ready to use. Beautiful. Okay, very easy. Thank you so much. (laughs) Have a great (laughs) night. Welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings. All right, and there are two more callers with their hands raised. Uh, from the 267, you are live on the air with Susan. The Hello, what's tonight? Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Hello, Susan. Hi. Um, I did not know I was going to be picked. Um, I'm really excited. Okay, quick question. I know you were talking to another caller about stinging nettle. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to un- ingest that um, if you're pregnant? Not only is it okay, it's great for you and your baby. Okay. Okay. All right. Cool. Thank you so much. That's the only question I had for this evening. Right. And the great podcast. So I really appreciate you guys doing this. You are welcome. And we're not guys. Yes, you're right. Okay. Thank you for letting me know that. <laughs> okay. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. 
Okay, and we, let's see, we still have no more callers with their hands raised. And it looks like we have about two minutes until our guest is due to arrive. Oh, I take that back. Someone has just raised their hand. From the 859, you are live on the air with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. What's your question tonight? My question, and I think somebody else was asking something potentially tonight related to this, um, but uh, I have what I think is acid reflux, and it it seems like it might be connected with this feeling that I've had for over a year, which is like the sense that I have this chronic sore throat. Um, and And now it seems like it could actually be um, acid reflux. For the first time, I experienced what felt like I thought was nausea because I felt something coming up. It seemed like something was coming up in my throat. And then I realized, oh, I'm having this discomfort in my chest as well. And I had just sort of wolfed down hot soup in a rush. And it seemed like it might be acid reflux. Could you say something about that? It's certainly possible a little unlikely in that situation. Okay. The stomach is not just like a flabby bag. It's actually kind of curved. And as you consume food, it goes from your mouth down your esophagus and then through the the narrowing of the esophagus down into the upper portion of your stomach and then down into the lower portion of your stomach where acid is made. The lower portion of the stomach makes acid, hydrochloric acid. Thank goodness the stomach has no nerve endings. And it also kind of churns, it kind of kneads the food along with the acid. And if the stomach is not making enough acid, then the food won't get churned to the correct consistency to get into the beginning part of the small intestine. The stomach goes into the beginning part of the small intestine where there are ducts from the pancreas and from the gallbladder coming from the liver to bring digestive enzymes into the food, but it has to be the proper consistency to get there. So if there's not enough acid, then the food is held longer in the stomach and can then push its way up to the upper stomach and thence up to the bottom of the esophagus. I suspect that Mm -hmm. you swallowed a great deal of air when you woofed down the hot soup. Mm. and that that air Mm -hmm. was pushing itself back up out of your stomach and kind of feeling like hot soup on the way back up because it had the odor and flavor of the hot soup. Okay. So since that that day, go ahead. But that doesn't mean that that you didn't have acid reflux, just that that it usually doesn't happen like immediately after eating something. Okay. Since that day, and it might just be because now I've kind of tuned in, but since that day I had 
like four days of having a similar experience of that and, kind of no matter yeah. what it was that you ate yeah in fact it, it kind of made me feel like I didn't want to eat mm-hmm. um, if, that, if that makes sense and so I wasn't eating much if you didn't eat did it not happen you know it still kind of felt that way um, just kind of like a sour taste mm-hmm. in my in my mouth and uh, discomfort in in the chest area, which is probably the stomach esophagus mm-hmm. area. And, of course, dandelion is the great remedy for all of these kinds of things. Okay. We were talking before about, you know, is it the liver, is it the pancreas, uh, is right. it the stomach? And dandelion benefits all of those. So you really just can't go wrong if you use dandelion. And you can use any part of dandelion. So dandelion root tincture, of course, is you know considered the big medicine, and I love dandelion root tincture. But if what's available to you is dandelion greens at the supermarket, well, I was sure eating dandelion greens tonight, you bet. Okay. And right, and what did I say? Oh, I had dandelion flower honey. Mm-hmm. So any part of the dandelion prepared in any way is not just a remedy, it's considered a preventative, that if you use dandelion at the beginning of your meal that you'll be far less likely to have acid reflux. Okay. Okay. Great. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. Good night. Good night. And welcome to Vincent Jenna. He is a triple power psychic and authentic and gifted psychic with the knowledge and experience of a licensed psychotherapist and the big charming personality of a showman. Vincent Jenna combines his early background as a professional actor and singer with a master's in clinical social work and his hospice experience helping more than 500 patients through the dying process with his uncanny skills as a metaphysician and psychic medium. The sum total of these experiences and gifts is Vincent Jenna, a psychic who can guide people not only to recognize what is preventing you from healing or attaining your dreams, but the necessary steps you need to take to get there. Welcome to the show, Vincent. And actually, I that Vincent has called in yet this evening. Um, I have two different numbers for him that I can try if you would like me to do that. Please. Okay. Uh, Bear with me while I do that here. You do that and I'll send him a psychic message. Okay, fabulous. Okay, psychic message has been sent. I sent him an image of my face that you will see in his mind's eye. Have you any results with the telephoning? Not as of yet. I am trying the next number. Um, So if you want to just go ahead and talk, I will be dialing him up behind the scenes. Hopefully he'll be answering this one. 
hopefully he will be answering the other number. I was uh, <clears throat> sitting talking with a, a woman who worked as a psychic once, and she said to me, she said, you know, Susan, we're all in a barn, <clears throat> and there's another reality on the outside of the barn. She said, and I have a seat on the end of the bench, and there is a gap between the boards where I am sitting. So I can see a little bit of that other world, and I can tell you about what's going on in that other world, she said. But I'm no more a real part of it than anybody else here. We're all in this reality, and we only get glimpses of those other realities. And I thought, especially in view of talking about cannabis tonight, that uh, to think about other realities, other, other realities, is only this reality. Yes, Vincent. Yes, Vincent I have Vincent. Wonderful. Do you have me? We have you. Hello, Vincent. Hey, how are you this evening? I'm splendidly well. I'm sorry you didn't get a chance to hear your introduction, but that's okay. Let's go ahead and jump in. Everybody is really interested to hear how you segued from being a professional actor to being a professional psychic. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you would actually think that that would be natural for all us uh, performers dealing with emotional people and such. Uh, but what really happened is I was 28 years old when a dear friend of mine, uh, his life was just falling apart, and I didn't know what to do to help him. Uh, I, mean, I was an actor. I wasn't a healer. I wasn't a helper. I wasn't a counselor. And it was a prayer, a deep, deep, deep prayer, asking God to give me the ability to help this guy and other people like him because I just knew his heart was breaking and uh, nobody was there for him. So after that prayer was within a week's time, and all this crazy stuff started happening to me. And uh, thank goodness my wife had been with me since I was 17 years old. She was my my girlfriend then, and she knew me. She knew that I didn't know any of this stuff. I certainly didn't spend much time thinking or talking about psychics and paranormal or any of that stuff, and here we go. Now, all of a sudden, that's what I'm becoming, and all this information is coming to me. So we did a lot of research. She she supported me, and, and um, here I am today after all of this time, but it was all because of a friend in dire need. That's how this all happened, which is it, it's just crazy when I look back on it. And, and because of your compassionate heart, because you wanted so much to offer yourself up to be of, of service, to be of use. And I, my experience is that the universe usually gives us what we really want, and usually pretty fast, too. You, you know, you're absolutely right. And it was the first time in my life 
that I actually felt that way. See, I was the tormented one and bullied in school and picked on constantly every day my entire school career until I was in high school and, and at the end of high school. Then when I got home, mom had some mental pathologies too going on because she was hurt when she was a child. And so she took that out on my brother and I. So it was really rough and very emotional. And I never once prayed to be helped. Like, God, please make them stop. I never did that. And so this was the first time. And and what was really interesting is this guy that needed help that became my dear friend, he was my enemy and the one that caused all my bullying in school. But at our 10-year high school reunion, everything flipped. I was an actor and a singer-dancer in the movie Grease. So I was kind of like, you know, the little famous person coming to the high school reunion. And everybody was all over me. And the girls were all over me. And he just came up and hugged me and wouldn't let me go and sat at my side the entire evening and brought all of the jocks over to my table. And we laughed. And we and then we went out to breakfast together and everything. And so... It was real interesting how we became close, but he, him being my enemy, became the catalyst for my greatest gifts today. And yes, it was, I didn't know that that was going to happen just because I asked that, that's for sure. I don't know what I was asking. And in hindsight, I don't even know why I was asking God to help me help him. You know, most people, when they're praying and want help for somebody, they pray for that person. Like, God, help him. Please take care of him. You know, I know he's having a rough time right now. I didn't do that. Now I understand why, because I was obviously meant to go this route, but I didn't know it back then. But you're, you're right. It was just, it was this, this act of compassion, of feeling my heart was aching for him, and there you go, bingo, it opened up because I asked that way. I, I always bless my enemies. They are the ones who make me strong and wise. Oh, yes, you're, I mean, that definitely was a wise statement right there, yeah. It, it, yeah. It's the reason why we were told to dine with our enemies, because you never know the opportunity you're going to get when you're sitting down literally and breaking bread with them. And that's exactly what I did that night of the reunion. I mm. sat down and bread with him. And because of my conversation with him and I was a you know, funny guy that I was able to make up laugh, stories about Hollywood when I was there, and then stories about our childhoods. And, and so from that, it just opened him up to me. And it opened up others to me as well. And that's exactly what happened. All those kids that picked on me, they're my followers now. You know, on social media, they follow me wherever I go. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. You know, one of the one of the things I talk about is the three traditions, the scientific tradition, which measures and fixes, the heroic tradition, which cleanses and balances, and the wise woman tradition, which nourishes our strengths. And so it's one of the reasons that we've invited you to be here is because you are a big proponent of nourishing strength. Can you tell us how that works? And here we are. Most people have made New Year's resolutions, and they haven't kept them. 
Well, here is the reason why. All those New Year's resolutions, all right, is, is to be resolute. They make them resolute means an intense commitment, a, a, a pride, proudful commitment, right? Um, and so they make them to feel good about themselves, but they make them based on some negative foundation. Okay, it's usually, oh my gosh, I've been fat all year, I've been eating too much, I can't get this weight off. All right, new year coming, I'm making a resolution, I'm going on a diet, I'm going to lose 15 pounds, that's it. Or, or I'm so out of shape, I can't even lift a box or anything, that's it, I'm going to the gym, I look like a, a pig out there in my bathing suit. I'm going to the gym and I'm going to build up my muscle or I'm going to clear the house. The house is so cluttered down and I never get it done. I'm going to make a resolution that I'm going to clear up the house. Every single resolution comes from wanting to fix something as if we're broken or something in our life is broken and we want to make it better. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to grow. But you want to grow because you feel good about growing, not because you feel bad about being broken. There is a difference there, right? So now anytime you build off of a negative and a weak foundation, it's going to collapse. Every single architect knows he has to start out with a firm foundation. It doesn't make a difference what the building looks like. It doesn't make a difference how strong it appears. If that foundation is weak, the entire building can collapse or become damaged. That's exactly what happens with us because we build off of the wrong foundation. So how about instead of making a resolution, making an enhancement off of something you already like? So, for example, let's take the weight thing. You know, there are a lot of people that, you know, want to lose weight. They're overweight. They don't feel healthy. They don't feel good. But you don't make it from the point of, I don't feel good. You make it from the point of, you know, when I was about 15 pounds lighter, I felt so good. I had more energy. My clothes fit me really well. You know what? I'm going to go back on a diet again because I like the way I feel when I'm, you know, I like the way I feel when I'm lighter. You, you know, when I'm strong, I can get more things done. I'm so energetic. We've been able to go out walking more and exercise more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go join the gym because I love the way I feel. Matter of fact, that's so funny because that's exactly what I did. I said, I'm going to be 65 years old, and I'd like to have my body look real nice, and I'd like to feel real good and strong because when I was younger and I felt that way, it was really good. You know what? I'm going to go back to the gym, and I'm going to do that. And I did for the first time in my life, I started doing that work. Or when I turned 50, I was a smoker. My wife and I smoked for 33 years. We tried giving it up no matter what because we all knew how terrible smoking was. It was going to kill us when we were young. It was bad for our children. All that broken stuff, we could never, ever, ever stop. Until one day I said on my 50th birthday, you know what? I love myself so much. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to experience my greatest existence here because I deserve it. 
I threw away the pack of cigarettes. My wife said the same thing and did the same thing. We have not had an urge. We've not gone back. We never even thought about ever smoking again. We felt like non-smokers. Our lungs are in perfect conditions, and it all the strength came from loving ourselves, not because we felt we were broken. It's a different energy when you focus on your strengths. We're constantly told in life and society how weak we are, or that we're sinners, or that we don't get our goals done, our dreams done. You've got to work harder um, in order to deserve the vacation, the money. Uh, whatever the case may be, we're constantly being reminded about our weaknesses, and then they expect us to grow and evolve. And you're not going to evolve from that point. You can only become stronger from the point of strength, not from the point of weakness. Yes. I love it. Brilliant. How can we identify our strengths and then build on them? Oh, my goodness, that's an excellent, excellent question. Well, the first thing is, one, you have to acknowledge that you have strengths, okay? Even if you don't see them, you have to be able to say, well, I must have some kind of strength. If you are living today, you are here right now, right? And let's say you're not behind bars, but even people behind bars have strengths that they don't even know of right? They haven't tapped into them. But no matter who you are, believe me, you've come further in your life than have gone backwards in your life. And you have to acknowledge that. You have to, you know, there's too many pictures and memes on social media that says, forget about yesterday or don't look behind you. You're you're walking forward anyway. You're moving forward. So don't look back. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so terrible. Those are terrible things to say to people. Because every time you look forward, you're looking at where you're not, where you still have to go. In order to find out how far you've already come, you've got to turn around every so often. You've got to look back there and see that you've come. Oh, wow, okay. Well, no, no, I'm definitely different than I was 10 years ago. That's for sure. Thank goodness for that. Oh, wow. Now, how did I get there? So when you acknowledge that you have some strength, they start revealing themselves. You start seeing, hey, wait, you know, maybe I do have some tenacity here. Maybe I'm not as lazy as I thought I was. Well, that's pretty good. Everybody should just sit down with a list. Look, if I told everybody I want you to make a list of all the things you don't like about yourself, people would have an entire journal filled with stuff. As soon as I turn around and I tell them, make a list of all your strengths, it takes them forever to write down one. And that's because that's what we used to do. You know what I do? I have to make a book of all that stuff you're talking about, that they could write a book about all their weaknesses. I tell them to do that, and that once they've written it down, they're not allowed to think it anymore. Well, that's actually a good practice. Then they can just put aside the book and write a new one, all their strengths. That's right. So perfect knowledge. Then look at yourself. Really look at yourself. Look at the things you enjoy. Look at the things that make you feel good. Look at the people in your life. Look at the way you affect others. Yeah, there's going to be things that you go, oh, wow, I'm impatient. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't make him feel good. Yeah, you're going to come across that. But again, chances are you're better than you think because that's 
what we do, like I, like you said, I said, we tend to focus on the weaknesses. So you start acknowledging, you start seeing, you start seeing, you start listing, write them down, think about them, and don't be looking at, well, let's see, I'm terrible at basketball. Well, yeah, if you're 5'2", you might have a difficult time playing basketball. Don't be looking at other things and other people's dreams and strengths. Look at what you are good at. Maybe you run faster. Maybe you're great at tracks. Maybe you're great at roller skating, ice skating. It doesn't matter. Start looking at those things. My wife was perfect for that because she always thought she never had an imagination and she wasn't creative until we made her sit down and create things. Go ahead, write this out. Draw this picture. It doesn't make a difference. It's not supposed to be anything draw. Then all of a sudden she's looking and she goes, oh, wow, that really looks good. And I say, I thought you said that you didn't creative ability. You just did. You see, if you... Wait, wait, wait a second. She never said she wasn't creative. She said she wasn't imaginative. And I'm not. I'm completely unimaginative, but I am incredibly creative. And my inability to be imaginative is really a strength because I don't imagine the worst ever. I think you're imaginative. I'm not. I'm not. I don't imagine things. If I read a book, I don't imagine the characters. You don't have to imagine that. There's all different types of ways to imagine. Can you imagine a question to ask again? Could I imagine what? Can you imagine a question to ask a guest on your show? No. That's why I have guests give me questions. I'm not imaginative. Yes, they're they're written out in front of me on a sheet of paper. You bet. Not imaginative. (laughs) Creative, yes. And creative enough to know how to cover up for my inability to be imaginative. They're different things. Very different things, and my lack of imagination no way impacts my creativity. I'm incredibly creative, but I'm creative in ways that are very factual. And it's actually very bothersome to me when people mix up facts and imagination as though they were the same thing. Oh, yeah, facts and imagination are completely different. You're right, because one different thinking. Right, different, yeah. So what we want to do is to find, I think, we want to find our strengths in everything. And that's why I'm offering up that my lack of imagination is a strength. It's something that aids me in my life. And I don't look at it and say, oh, well, you're not very imaginative, Susan. I say, wow, good for you, girl. You are not imaginative. Now, how are we going to use that to the best advantage? So first you write down all the terrible stuff, and then you can't think it anymore. And then you write down all your strengths. And then you go back to the terrible stuff, and you find out that those are your strengths too. Yes, you do find out that those Because remember, we're more critical of ourselves than we are complimentary. Yes. So there's going to be a lot of things that you might say about yourself that one of your friends or family members will say, wait a minute, what are you, crazy? Of course you can do that. I've seen you do that. Haven't you seen her do that? Yeah, I've seen her do that. You know, because we don't see ourselves the way the world can see us, and that works both good and bad. 
but it, it, we're too critical of ourselves, okay? And, and here's the reason why I'm saying, even to you, because right brain is where your creativity is, it's where your nurturing side is, it's where your emotional side is, it's where your intuition is, it's where you're all connected. If you're using any part of that brain, the other parts work along with it because they go hand in hand. Not to mention that the brain thinks in vision and imagination. It's just that for some reason, and maybe it doesn't get from inside the deep recesses of your mind out to your mouth or into your hand. But that's a different issue altogether. That has nothing to do with your inability to imagine. It has to do with your inability to get it out of you. And so that's something completely <laughs> I get, Hey, I, I, I'm incredibly, I literally am creative. I create a lot. A lot of stuff comes out of me. No problem with that flow at all. Right? And again, I see my lack of imagination as a strength. But to go on to really something that's super important, how do people get in touch with you, with you Vincent? Well, almost oh, out of time. To- We're going to want more. How do they get in touch? And that's with a G-E-N-N-A. And they can connect with me from there to my Facebook Live event. I also am a host of a Unity Online radio show on Wednesdays. Tomorrow at noon, you can hear me. And so there's so many different ways to contact me. I do private readings worldwide. I do classes. If they sign up on my my website, they'll get some information as to when my classes are, when my events are, when to watch me on TV and great shows like you. And so... That's the best way is go through my website, and they can go from there. All right. Vincent Jenna, and that's Jenna with a G? That is correct, G-E-N-N-A. VincentJenna.com and on Facebook and all of those other great social places. Make sure you connect. And we have come to that last question, which is what do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening to you tonight. What I want them to know is how magnificent they are and that they need to believe in themselves. Yourself before you can believe. Believe in yourself. You are magnificent. It's the wise woman way. We're already there. We're already perfect. We're already where we need to be. And that doesn't stop us from being in the next place we need to be and from being more perfect and from being even better. Play to your strengths. Gene Houston used to do that. She would assign us to, like, write a poem in the next 10 minutes. And, of course, half of the class would say, oh, no problem, write a poem. And the other half would go, I can't do that. I can't write poetry. Oh, God, I can't do that. And she knew the 100-some-odd people in the class well enough to go to people and say, yes, but you can sing very well. So you sing, and while you're singing, the poem will come to you. Or you dance, so you dance, and while you're dancing, the poem will come to you. And she would literally have the person play to their strength and let that thing that they thought they couldn't do bubble up through the channels already established of the thing that they could do. 
Vincent Jenna, thank you so much for helping us to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. Sarah Ellen, are you still there, or am I in a kind of vacuum place here right now? Mm. Yes, I'm here. You are here. Okay, good. So just Vincent that we lost. Well, thank you for helping me restore herbal medicine to people's uh, its rightful place as people's medicine. And thanks for being here and uh, playing your part so gracefully and beautifully. And everybody who sees me in that necklace comes over and says, what is that? And I say, social distance, social distance, get back, get back. <laughs> thank you, Sarah Ellen. <laughs> oh, love you. Big I love you. you. Be blessings, everybody. Good night. Good night.